This morning we're going to talk about uh, a term uh, that is not uh, ordinarily, uh, not a Baptist term. Uh, it's actually more of a British term uh, is uh, where uh, it came from. Uh, as we have uh, been the last uh, few weeks kind of just moving through the days uh, of uh, Easter week, the original, the first uh, Easter week, we started with uh, the events of Palm Sunday which are uh, obviously uh, the main event uh, was uh, the triumphal entry. Uh, Monday and Tuesday were uh, relatively quiet. There were some things that went on, uh, cleansing of the temple, a few other things. Uh, last week we looked uh, at Wednesday, uh, which is the day when Judas uh, agreed uh, with the priest to uh, betray Christ. And now we come to the events of, again, what is known uh, as Monday Thursday. Uh, probably most good uh, Baptists in the South uh, call it Monday Thursday. Uh, we probably don't, uh, I said it shows up on our calendar, uh, but most of us, uh, matter of fact, uh, I've been asked that question leading up to this, uh, what, what exactly is Monday Thursday? Uh, and again, it's not a term we use. It's not even a t it's not a term uh, that you'll find uh, in Scripture. Uh, but it is the day that uh, commemorates and remembers uh, the Lord washing the feet of His disciples, uh, and then them celebrating together uh, the Passover or uh, what we now know uh, as uh, the Last uh, Supper. It is described in uh, all three of the Synoptic Gospels uh, and John as well. Uh, and again, the term Monday Thursday actually is the term. Uh, it originated in uh, England. Uh, many people call it Holy Thursday. Uh, is the day uh, that is given. It's kind of funny. England calls it Monday Thursday. Ireland calls it uh, Holy Thursday. Um, and uh, that's kind of, Holy Thursday is more typical in uh, Scotland, Ireland, Canada. Uh, if, if we call it anything in the United States, it's probably uh, Holy uh, Thursday. But uh, again, the, the name uh, Monday Thursday, where that comes from uh, is the word Monday uh, is from uh, the Latin word mandatum. Uh, and you can imagine then mandatum is where we get our word mandate. Uh, and it is based on uh, the command uh, that Jesus gave uh, to his followers there. Uh, in the upper room uh, when as they shared uh, the last supper uh, that he gave them the command uh, to love uh, to love each other and so there are a lot of things that went on uh, they're obviously in uh, that night uh, and uh, I don't think you're willing to sit here as we talk about all of them uh, because it would take about all day uh, to discuss the last supper to discuss uh, Judas getting up and, and leaving to discuss uh, all those things. We're going to focus uh, on this one uh, issue, this one statement uh, that Jesus makes uh, as he tells his disciples there, uh, as he tells them that you, a new commandment I give unto you, that you love one another uh, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. 
By this shall all men know that you are my disciples if you have love one to another. Right in the middle uh, of the Lord's Supper. Now, I'm going to suggest here and, and, and make a, a, a guess uh, that most everybody in this room uh, is familiar uh, with that statement when Jesus says, love, uh, love one another. You command it, love one another. Uh, that this is how people will know uh, you are my disciples, by whether or not you love one another. Uh, but probably most of us, even though we are aware of that commandment, didn't realize the setting uh, of where it took place, that it happened uh, in the middle, uh, basically, of uh, that last supper uh, that Jesus celebrated with his uh, disciples. And so this, this morning, I want us to take and, and think about that, uh, that commandment this morning, uh, because if you stop and think about, uh, and I really uh, don't have time, we could probably take this one commandment and, and preach probably uh, a dozen different messages on all the, uh, the information, the aspects, the different pieces uh, of that commandment. And I want to take uh, maybe a little uh, broader view, uh, a little higher view uh, of it, uh, and just kind of fly over it this morning. I really dig into it specifically, but uh, just kind of uh, go over from a real high, uh, like a, a jet flying over uh, over the over the uh, over the uh, through the sky. When you look down, you really can't see any real details. You just kind of see uh, the outline. That's kind of uh, what I want to do. Uh, with this passage uh, this morning, that uh, this statement that you that that uh, you love one another as I have loved you. Really, that's the main part I, I want to zero in on this morning. Uh, is that statement, love one another as I have loved you. Now, uh, as we think about that statement, uh, I want you to understand. Uh, a couple things uh, about that statement. First of all, uh, Jesus says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. First thing uh, that jumps out at me about that statement, uh, and I hope you see this as well, uh, and you take this very seriously, uh, that this passage reveals to us a personal responsibility. Jesus says, I want you to love one another as I have loved you. Uh, notice Jesus doesn't use the good uh, southern term, I want y'all to love uh, as I have loved y'all. Or uh, the northern term, I, don't want, I want you guys to love. Uh, he says, I want you. He's very specific uh, in, in what he says. Imagine that moment, uh, if you can. Jesus is uh, simply... Uh, but he's, he's only hours away uh, from his betrayal. He's only hours away uh, from his trial. Uh, ultimately, only hours away uh, from his crucifixion. Yet, in the middle of that, uh, uh, think about that for a moment. Everything that had been going on uh, all week long with the cleansing of the temple, the triumphal entry, and all the things uh, that are going to, uh, to happen that week, uh, that are, are going to really just start rapid fire in the next uh, 48 hours, just boom, 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 Judas betrayal, uh, Peter uh, cutting off the ear of the servant, the soldiers coming, the arrest, the trial, uh, all those things that are going to just, uh, in a matter of moments, just start just, just rapid fire taking place. 
Jesus takes time on that Thursday evening to gather uh, his closest associates uh, for uh, the celebration of the Passover, for one last teaching moment, for one last uh, time to gather them in, uh, away from the distractions of the world, away from everything that was going on. This was a busy week. Again, this was the Passover week, even without uh, the crucifixion of Christ. This was a busy hectic week in the life of Jerusalem. The streets were crowded. Uh, there were a lot of things going on. The vendors set up in the street. Uh, all, all those things taking place. And right in the middle of it, it was important to Jesus to gather his disciples together and have this last meal with them, even though uh, they didn't realize uh, that it was the last meal. They didn't realize, I don't think, the total significance of what was going on. But Jesus did. He recognized everything that was going on. And it was important to him to gather his disciples together and sit down with them one last time. We see numerous times in the Gospels where Jesus takes his disciples off. And uh, there are times when they go off alone. And uh, there are times when in the crowd that he teaches his disciples. But here just hours uh, before, think of all the things uh, that were on the agenda. Uh, think about, uh, I don't know how many of you keep a, uh, a calendar, how many of you keep an agenda, uh, a to-do list. Imagine Jesus' to-do list on Holy Week. Imagine what was, uh, all the things were there, and right, one of the most important events for him was to sit down with his followers and give them this new commandment. Uh, you love one another as I have loved you. I want to point out something to you. This is the first time in the Gospel of John that we see specifically Jesus telling the disciples that he loved them. Now, there are numerous uh, passages, for example, John 3.16, where we see that God so loved the world. But here he says, as I have loved you. He specifically calls them out and says, uh, again, he has talked about loving the world, he has talked about loving Israel, he has talked about loving the church, but here he says, I love you. And I can only imagine that as he sat at that table, and uh, again, thank you for, uh, Diane, those who uh, work to make uh, such an attractive setting uh, for uh, our worship, uh, as he sat at that table, that as he sat there, that uh, as he said, I love, as I have loved you. And I can only imagine, the Bible doesn't say this, but I can only imagine that he paused right there, and for just a moment, he looked, went around the, the table and looked every one of those men, including Judas, right in the eye, and said, I love you. I love you. In the middle of everything else that was going on, before Jesus commands us in this passage, and this is something that we talk about often, and especially people in my position as pastors, we talk about this, the responsibility that we have to love others. We emphasize that. 
We want to, you know, we, we talk about that a lot in the church. That people will know you love Jesus by how you love others. And we really want to emphasize, you know, we're trying to keep down the squabbles and, 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 the, and the bickering in the church by emphasizing love one another. But I want you to understand something this morning. Before you can love one another, he says, you first must understand that he loved you. You have to understand and acknowledge the love that He has for you. He says that this command can easily be reworded this way. As I have loved you. Now He says to us, the verse obviously says, uh, love others uh, as I have loved you. But you can easily take and flip the phrases here and say, as I have loved you, now go and love others. See, we don't know how to truly love until we have experienced the love of God. We really don't know what love is until we experience the unconditional uh, love of God. See, what typically we know about love is typically conditional. It's typically, I love you as long as you do this. I love you until you start doing this or you quit doing that. that that's the way we, we love. We, we're kind of like uh, the old uh, Hank Williams song, You Got No More Money, Honey, I Got No More Time. You know, that's kind of the way we know uh, about love. But we don't truly understand love until we understand the what the Bible, uh, the original language calls the agape love of God. The, the unconditional love of God. That's where we truly learn to love. And Jesus tells his followers, he says, you have a responsibility to love others the way I love you. So we have a responsibility, really a twofold responsibility. One of them is to love others the way Christ loved us. But then the other piece of that, other aspect of that responsibility is I can't love others the way Christ loved me until I, unless I invest myself in understanding the love of God. I've got to dwell. I've got to study. I've got to, uh, to uh, be part of and, and, and enjoy and participate in the love of God to be able to pass that love on to someone else. As I have loved you, you go uh, and, and love others. We have to allow that statement to, to saturate our very being. That God loved me when I was dirty and grimy and sinful and uh, Tommy likes the phrase, stuck in the miry clay. That when, when I was in that condition, God didn't wait until I cleaned up and then said, okay, I love you. God came, uh, there was an old song that, that uh, I don't remember who sang it, it's probably 40 years old now, that says, he came to me. He came to me. He, where I was, he came to me. Listen, Christ says to these disciples, I want you to love like I love 
you? How did Jesus love? Josh just told us in the beginning of this uh, same chapter, in beginning in chapter 13, as this story begins to unfold in verse 1. He says there, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, he says, I know, he knew that his time was up, that he should depart out of the world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. He loved them completely. He loved them without fail. What does it mean when we think about loving Till the very end. He loved them with a holy love. He loved them with an everlasting love. Again, he loved them with that agape love uh, that we describe as the godly love. He loved them to the furthest extent. We have probably all watched, unfortunately, parents who have a child who goes off the trail. We'll say it that way. We have watched as that child repeatedly, over and over, time and time again, breaks those parents' hearts. And yet, it seems like just when you think that parent has had it up. Had it up to here, as we say. That parent turned around and keeps loving. They love them till the end. They love them till the end. John says Jesus loved us till the end. It's a statement about how far this love would actually go. What's it look like to love a person like that? What, not what does it look like for Jesus to love a person like that. We know what it looks like for Jesus to love a person like that. What it looks like for Jesus to love a person like that is to take up an old wooden cross, carry it up a hill, get nailed to it, shed his blood, and die for us. That's what it looks like for Jesus, does it? But what would it look like for you and I to love to the end? You say, oh, I'm not Jesus. You may not be. But he told us to love like he loved us. He told us to love that way. Right in the middle of all the chaos. Right in the middle of everything that was going on. He sits down with his disciples, gathers them together, and says, I love you. I want you to think about that motley crew. He's got one sitting there that he knows is about to betray him. He's got one that he knows is about to deny him. He's got a pretty rough crowd if you think about those twelve. And he says, I love you. What does it look like for you to love to the end? What does it look like for you to love that co-worker? What does it look like for you to love that contrary neighbor? What does it look like for you to love that person to the very end? See, we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to understand the love of Jesus and then to model it wherever we go. Personal responsibility. Then we have a personal revolution. Listen, as far as the disciples knew, 
This was a Passover meal like every Passover meal they'd celebrated their entire life. As far as they knew, this was just a normal, everyday, not every day, every year, Passover event. They didn't understand. But right in the middle of it, Jesus gets up and he takes off his garment, it says. All of you have seen the artist renditions. You, you, you understand how the typical kind of dress was in that day, the, the long kind of robe, bathrobe looking. I'll use terms we're familiar with. It says he stood up and took off his garment. What it means was he took off his, his outer garment. He took off the part that, that, that looked like a bathrobe. Y'all all seen Christmas plays. You know what I'm talking about. He took out the part that looked like a bathroom, the long piece. And when he did that, he would have been left wearing what we would call, at my house anyway, a t-shirt. An undershirt. Everybody with me? I don't know what you call it at your house. T-shirt, undershirt. That's the only two words I know you call that thing. But it, that he, he would have been left wearing just that kind of, uh, basically a long t-shirt under his robe. He would have been dressed when he was in that attire, when he took off that cloak, his garment, and was left in that long t-shirt, he would have been dressed like your everyday servant. Like a servant that would have served the meals. He would have been dressed in that way. Back in chapter 13 of John, it says, Jesus, knowing that his Father had given all things to him, uh, and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from the supper, laid aside his garment, that outer cloak, took a towel, and girded himself. Kind of like tucked it into the, you know, kind of got him a towel girding himself. And after that he poured water in a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. He began to do that. I want to call your attention to a passage in the book of Philippians where Paul writes these words. Paul says, Let this mind be in you. Let this mind think like this, which was also in Christ. This is the mind that Christ had, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and hear this phrase, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of man. Now, stick with me. Don't doze off here or you're going to be confused and miss really the heartbeat, I think, of what Jesus was teaching in this event. Taking what happened, that Jesus pulls off his coat and leaves himself dressed as a common, everyday servant. Paul says he took
took on the form of a servant. The Bible goes on and says that he poured water in a basin and he began to go around the room and wash their feet. When you take those to the story of the Last Supper, and you take the words of Paul when it says he took all the form of a servant. What we have is the picture of a Savior who didn't just come to serve, but he actually took on the character and the nature of a servant. Do you understand the difference in those two statements? He didn't just come to serve, but he, as Paul said, took on the form or the nature or the character of a servant. See, here, let, me, let me see if I can differentiate between those two terms. When we choose to serve, we also choose who we will serve. With me? When we choose to serve, we choose who we will serve. I'm going to go serve at the homeless shelter. I'm going to go serve at the food kitchen. We choose to serve, and we choose who we will serve. The difference in a person who chooses to serve and a servant is that the servant gets no choice in the mind. See, if I, go to choose, if I choose to go serve at the food kitchen and I don't like it, or they upset me, I get out my car keys and I go back to my life. I go home. If I choose to serve at the homeless shelter and they upset me in some way, there's something there I don't like, I get, my, get in my car and I choose to go back to my life and I quit serving. You with me? But if I am a servant, servants, don't get to decide, you know, I've decided I don't want to serve anymore. Right? You with me? See, there's a difference in choosing to serve and taking on the form and the character of a servant. Serving is something you do. Being a servant is who you are. Did Jesus serve or was he a servant? That's who he was. He spent his earthly ministry as a servant. So there's a huge difference in serving and being a servant. I wanna, I, 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 let me use an illustration for you. Some of you are old enough to remember uh, you may have not watched it, but let me use an illustration from one of my favorite shows, and that was Mash. Some of you, if you watched Mash, you probably remember this episode. 
There is a holiday, probably shows up on many of your calendars, called Boxing Day. Boxing Day is much like Monday, Thursday for most Americans. We don't have a clue. Um, and I'm not sure that the television show really accurately portrayed what goes on on Boxing Day. But in their version of it, and I, I, this is probably true in some places, Boxing Day was a day when the servants switched places with the masters. And in, on, on that episode of this show, the servants, the enlisted men, those of you who were in the military, the enlisted men switched places with the officers. So if I remember correctly, the head nurse ended up on KP. The head nurse ended up, for example, in the kitchen peeling potatoes. I can't remember the various roles of all the doctors. I remember the colonel switched places with his company clerk and was responsible for all the work that the company clerk did while the company clerk became the colonel and began giving the orders. Well, right in the middle of that, and you can imagine that didn't go over very well, but right in the middle of it, a wounded soldier was brought into the, into the, into the hospital. Do you know what happened? The doctors who had switched places with the, with the enlisted men and were doing various menial tasks around the camp, when the injured soldier came in, guess what they did? They laid down their menial task and went back and picked up their scalpel and became surgeons again. See, when you're just serving, you can walk away. But when you're a servant, that's your lifestyle. That's who you are. Jesus says we are to love so much that we would be servants. I don't think most of us would be real crazy about ever washing feet. Some of you don't even wash your own. No comment. Huh? But you definitely wouldn't have wanted to wash feet in those days. I want you to think for a moment. It was normal for a servant to wash feet. I want to remind you something. The roads weren't paved. And they walked most everywhere they went. Their feet were dirty and dusty. Didn't have sidewalks. I'm sorry, but I gotta go there. They didn't have sewage systems. And they walked everywhere they went. There were only really two reasons to wash somebody's feet. You were a servant, or you were trying to impress them. Now the night Jesus goes around the room and washes his disciples' feet, which was he? Was he trying to impress his disciples, or was he a servant? He was a servant. 
He was a servant. It's a difference. It requires to love as Christ loved us. Requires a recognition on our part. But it requires a revelation. It requires a total transformation of who we are. To be a servant that loves like Jesus loves. And then it requires a personal recognition. When I was living, some of you have probably heard the story about Thomas Road Baptist Church and Dr. Falwell in its beginning of how it began in the old Donald Duck bottling company. Well, they're not, they've relocated now, but at that time, the Thomas Road Church was still on that same property. And the old Donald Duck Bottling Company was still there on the property. Um, and they used it mainly for, for youth events. And I was there for a uh, taking a, a worship class. It was an elective to me. Um, I, I just I just needed the credit, and it was it was available, and I took it. Um, you know, the, if you've ever stood beside of me, you know I can't sing. Um, we had to do part of the part of the assignment was to put together uh, part of the one of the things we had to do was put together a worship event for the classroom. My job was running the PowerPoint. So that tells you about my skills in the class. My job was this. And I got A plus. Yeah, I was good at it. One of the groups decided that what they would do is we went over in to the basement area of the old Donald Duck plant. Again, it was set up for the youth at Thomas Road. Dr. Whaley, one of the most godly uh, men I've ever met, led the worship department, was actually teaching the class. And many of the people who were in that class with me were working on worship degrees and had been involved with Dr. Whaley for a number of years and were in his other classes and traveled with him to go out and in the churches, and so they were very, um, very close. We had no idea. They took us over into that, into that uh, area um, of the old bottling plant, and we all sat down. And they called Dr. Whaley to the center of the room. And some of the students, when he sat down, came out with a basin, and they began to pull his shoes off and wash his feet. And these were students who had been with Dr. Whaley for a number of years. Tears streamed down his face. Before long, everybody in the room, tears were streaming down their face. Because there was the, the, the love between those students and Dr. Whaley that day was overwhelming. Was absolutely I, I can't even describe it. That night in the upper room, 
It was a mixed up bunch. We had Thomas. There was many like to call him Doubting Thomas. I have a little problem with that name, as many of you know. But nonetheless, Thomas. Judas was still in the room. Peter, who had taken his eyes off of Jesus while walking on the water more than once and piped up and said the wrong thing at the wrong time. Peter, who in just a few hours would deny that he even knew him. Most likely, many of the disciples, we don't know a lot of the details about. We know their names, and that's about it. Most likely, if we knew more about them, we'd make a pretty healthy list of the mess they'd be in. We got a pretty good idea by the truth that in just a few moments, when Christ is arrested, those disciples flee off into the darkness, scatter like cockroaches when the light comes on. We have an idea of who they are. They're messed up, and they know it. They're so messed up in a moment when Jesus announces that one of them will betray him. They don't immediately say, well, it's him. They look around the room and try to figure it out. They know they're all messed up. Think about that for a minute. When Jesus says, one of you will betray me, they look around the room and start asking you. They're so messed up, they even ask, is it me? They're not even sure. It might be me. I'm so messed up, I might be the one that's going to deny I might be the one that's going to betray him. Might be me, might be the guy sitting next to me. When he gets to Peter... Peter refuses to let him wash his feet. They're going to wash my dirty, nasty feet. Jesus says, Peter, your dirty feet don't bother me a bit. Your denial doesn't make me love you any less. You're taking your eyes off of me when I called you to come to me on the water. Doesn't make me love you any less. Judas, even your old feet, stick them out here. I'll wash your feet. Even your feet. The new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. How many of you would have known what Jesus knew and washed Judas's feet. Oh, if you knew what he did to me, you knew how bad he hurt me, you knew what he said to me, you knew what he did to my family, you know why I feel this way. Jesus is Judas. Stick out your old dirty feet. I'll wash them. This new commandment has the potential to change the world. But before it can change the world, 
it must change me. Love us as I have loved you. Before we can love and serve others, we must experience the love of Jesus Christ. I want to ask you to bow your heads this morning. Could you? Would you? Wash Judas' feet? Maybe not Judas, but is there somebody in your life, someone you know, who you couldn't wash their feet, who you couldn't serve, who you say, I can't love? You need to come this morning and kneel at this altar and say, Lord, help me to love like you loved me. You're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior. You can't love like Christ commanded you to until you experience the love of Jesus Christ. You need to come and ask Christ into your heart this morning. You need to come and be saved. Love as I have loved you. Paul writes to the Corinthians when he's talking about the Lord's Supper. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in just a moment. He says, examine yourself. Judge yourself lest you be judged. He says, don't take of the Lord's Supper with sin in your life. He says, some have done that, and because of that, they're sick, and some are even dead. Examine yourself. You need to come this morning and kneel and say, Lord, cleanse me. Forgive me. Prepare my heart to participate in the Lord's Supper. Help me to love as you love me. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Lord, I ask you today that you would stir our hearts. God, our world desperately needs to see Christians who are loving as you loved us. God, give us that kind of heart. Give us a a revolution in our hearts. Change us. Not just to serve, but to be servants. Now that that would be our very character, just as it was for Christ, who took on the form of a servant. God, if there's one here today that doesn't know the love of Christ, who's never experienced it personally, God, I pray you stir their heart. If they'd see their need, they'd come to know Jesus today. God, stir in this invitation, in this time, do your work. 
we give you our hearts in Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. As we stand together.